Good evening, Wisdom Eccentrics by Nakchal Rinpoche. Chapter 22, Part 2. What concerns you in all this? asked Paltrow after another difficult silence. Namgyal Dorje didn't need much time to find an answer. Protecting the Drokpas from rustling. Paltrow eyed Namgyal Dorje quizzically. Yes, and? Namgyal Dorje started to think about the Drokpas and it gradually dawned on him that Paltrow might be insinuating something to the effect that Namgyal Dorje's little gomper relied on donations from these people. Yes, repeated Paltrow. You rustle in your way, I rustle in mine. And he rustles in his. Most people rustle pleasurable experiences. Some spiritual types even try to rustle teachings. Namgyal Dorje looked ashamed at these remarks. It is true, he said with a deep sigh. I am a rustler too. I rustle donations. I rustle everything you have named. But I am neither fearless nor do I keep any vow as diligently as this brigand. He bowed his head and fell silent. But, said Paltrow, you are a good man and you are not dishonest. You understand the nature of your situation and your motivation well. So, I will do what I can to help. However, you must make a vow now and one that you will always keep. Promise me that your monks will visit the brigand gars as well as the encampments of the drokpas. It's not right to neglect people simply because of their brigandage. These people need the influence of the teachings as much, if not more, than others. Yes, Namgyal Dorje agreed. This is certainly true. I promise to send monks to the brigand camp when they request visits. I recognise my fault in partiality towards my nomad benefactors. And I recognise that I've allowed myself to live in a compromised position. Paltrow nodded and smiled. And the plan was underway. The 29th day was close, so Paltrow gave some advice as to how he would proceed. On the eve of the day of the protector, no one at all was to go to the Gongkang. Paltrow would practice there for the entire day himself. No other rites would be necessary or welcome. He'd wait for the brigand to arrive with his shoulder of lamb and deal with the protector in his own way. Paltrow had no great anxiety when it came to local protectors, or brigands for that matter. He'd seen both before, and neither caused him any loss of sleep. He was, 
especially unimpressed by local spirits whose vanity was immense and whose intelligence was such that they could be bought for a piece of meat they couldn't even eat. Paltrow arrived just before dawn and sat silently, obscured by the large drum which was used in the invocations. Dawn arrived, and with it the brigand. He galloped into the courtyard and sprang from his horse in the manner anticipated from the rumours that had become legendary. He strode into the gunkang with his leathern bag and was about to proffer to proffer its contents to the screaming red sen when Poutrell spoke. You keep your vows well, Master Horseman. The brigham was surprised but reasonably unruffled. Uh, what's it to you? Nothing much, really, replied Poutrell, apart from the issue of this local protector being directly answerable to me. That was an unexpected answer for the brigand. This old yogi was either insane or he was someone to be reckoned with. Is that a fact? Poutrell bored him clean through with a steely glaze. Yes, that's a fact. The brigand considered these words briefly and adopted a defiant stance which belied his slightly eroded sense of ease. And so, what does that add up to exactly, you loose-mouthed pile of yak dung? Paltrow smiled. It adds up to the fact that your pact with this little imp is over. If you ruffle now, if you rustle now, you do it without the assistance of this curious creature. The brigand pondered the import of this statement. Was it true or was it a piece of spiritual bravado? Strong words for a ragged, flea-bitten old-timer with a blade. Poutrell roared with laughter at this piece of sarcasm. I don't need a blade to get the edge on a youngster like you. The brigand's ire was touched. I'm real scared. Now, you mangy old marmot. Poutrell wasn't moved. You bet your damn life you're scared. What goddamn brilliant deduction leads you to that conclusion, you doddering old dickhead? Nothing that brilliant, my fine young fellow. It's just that you've 
volunteered your life to the hands of this local imp. But he's nothing but a menial servant of a minion of those I invoke. I would imagine that would make a person nervous. Something about this yogi was becoming very disconcerting. He wasn't backing off, neither was he becoming angry. He was speaking to the bandit as if he was some rising nomad, Johnny come lately. Was he lying? Was he stark raving mad? He didn't seem to be mad, and if he was lying, he'd surely be dead by now. After all, the screaming red sen obviously had the power to protect his rustling. He knew the power of this protector from his own experience, and yet here was this old yogi trivialising the protector as an imp, a little nothing. This must mean that Powtrell had far greater power than this local protector. Maybe this was the end of his life. Powtrell knew the brigand's thought and replied, No. Powtrell smiled. There's no need to fear for your life from me. I have no wish to kill you. You could do a great deal of good one day if you gave up this nonsense. What's it to me if a fellow like you ruffles every goddamn yak and dree he sees? But let me ask you one question. Is the money that good? And... Hasn't it even started to get just a little tedious yet? The brigand sat down. What do you want of me, Arme? he asked, recognising this was no ordinary everyday situation. Powtrell took his time. Nothing. It would be useful if you give the Drokpas a break with this rustling of yours. But, come now, what do you want for yourself? Surely there must be something beyond this business of droving yak and dree from one place to another and then teaching your children to do the same when you're too old to do it yourself. Or is that what you really want? The brigand had no good answers, so Powtrell continued, You know you can do this brigandry business blindfolded, but you're not yet ready for the life of a yogi. We'll meet again one day, though, and when we do, you may want to receive teachings from me. Until then, try to do as little harm as you can and remember our meeting. The brigand left.
the rustling stopped, everyone seemed quite contented for a while. Namgel Dorje kept his vow to Paltrel and sent monks to visit the brigand camps, and in turn the brigands turned their attentions to the Chinese borderlands. Brigands, after all, are brigands and have to continue the business of brigandage somewhere or other. Now, Rinpoche began, there are several things here, aren't there? Yes, I said, putting down what I hoped would be a royal flush and spreading my cards with as little timidity as I could manage under Rinpoche's penetrating gaze. He'd stopped shouting at me, but there was something about his gaze that still unnerved me. There are questions in this story about spiritual qualities in unlikely people, such as the brigand. He's both fearless and able to keep vows. Then there's the Lama at the Gompa who's well-meaning, but whose diplomacy compromises him with regard to his spiritual integrity. Then there's the question of relying on unenlightened protectors for mundane concerns. Rinpoche gave me a look which confirmed that all this was obvious. Yeah, and then, he said, in the way of an open-ended prompt. And then, what? Right, well, yes, there were a few other ideas, so I put those out on the table as well. But I'd laid out what I thought were my trump cards. So it was with no great confidence that I posited some further thoughts on the story. Well, Rinpoche, it strikes me that Powtrell is very gentle with Namgil Dorje. When the head lama is obviously sitting in a mess of his own devising. I mean, if he'd sent monks out to the brigandars all along, the situation might not have arisen. Rinpoche smiled. Yeah, possible. But to behave correctly is no guarantee that others will do the same. He laughed. You will discover this. This time I had a quick reply. Yes, I can see that. But the Lama would have been in a more powerful position if the brigands had been obliged to his impartiality toward them. He could have approached them directly with the depredations of one of their young bloods. Rinpoche roared with laughter at this idea. Good, good, good. Maybe one day you will become the Prime Minister of England. But we are not here for you to learn diplomacy, even though it is useful in dealing with Tomyors. If you are here to learn the nature of things, that is good. 
But if you want to learn politics, you will have to go and spend your time with Indira Gandhi. But I think this is not what you would enjoy. Rinpoche was not angry. He was serious in manner and determinedly pointing me in a different direction. I'd evidently complicated the whole issue and the question turned out to be far more simple than I'd imagined. I suddenly realised that it was simply a question of power. Namgel Dorje lacks power. He lacks power to refuse the brigands. He lacks power to face the Drokpas. He lacks power to face the local protector. Oh, yeah, Rinpoche exclaimed with a smile. So, I continued, it's not so much a question of the Lama's failure to be impartial, but his being unable to be upfront about things. Impartiality is obviously preferable, but impartiality is based on power, the power to risk offending the Drokpas. Rinpoche gave me a sideways glance. You can't simply decide to be impartial. You have to have the strength, capacity and realisation to be impartial. Power, Rinpoche concluded, relies on being able to let go of everything. You must be able to allow everything to fall apart. Power rests on the ability to let everything for which you've worked be destroyed. You can't have power whilst there is anything that you want to keep intact. This is why Paltrow has the power to command this local protector. Paltrow cannot be bought. Now it all made sense to me. This is why he can speak to the brigand in such a forthright way. Paltrow isn't afraid of death. He knows that death might result from the confrontation, but that doesn't concern him. Rinpoche nodded. Yeah, this is it. But there was something interesting in what you said before. Paltrow is very gentle with Namgyal Dorje. Why? Now that was a question. Well... He was gentle, but he was also rather non-committal. Rinpoche donned his quizzical expression. Yeah, and so why was he not fierce when he is fierce with the brigand? As soon as Rinpoche shuffled the deck in this way, it all gelled. As soon as I compared Paltrow's manner with these two individuals, it dawned on me. This was also a question of power, 
I spread my hand on the table again. Paltrow was gentle with Namgal because the Lama didn't really have much power. He was a simple, good-hearted country abbot trying to keep everyone happy. Rinpoche nodded. And the brigand? He was fierce with the brigand because the brigand, in his own limited way, was very powerful. The brigand's power lay in his ability to lay his life on the line, and the Lama's lack of power came from his desire to maintain the status quo. By Rinpoche's expression, I could tell that I'd given the right answer. But he had something else to throw at me that I'd not expected. So, Rinpoche chuckled, why was this bad Kunzangdorje fierce with you when you first came here? Somehow, I realised that I had no choice about the answer I was obliged to give. The only problem was the wording. Fortunately, there was no time to think it out. I toyed for a split second with, because you perceive me to be powerful in some way, Rinpoche, but that seemed instantaneously cretinous, so I went for broke. Because I am powerful enough. Rinpoche chuckled and poured out two beers. Sometimes, yes. Maybe one day, all the time. Power's a strange subject, an elusive commodity, I ventured. Yeah, Rinpoche observed. Some people have power without realising it. People who simply are what they are. And some people, I commented, risking the continuance of Rinpoche's statement, are powerful because of their neuroses, but their power is self-destructive. People who sulk have a certain kind of power, but they get nothing from that power but sadness and bitterness. Rinpoche nodded almost sadly. Yeah, it is good to remember this. I have thought about this question of power many times since my discussions with Rinpoche. I have realised that power has got very little to do with power to, but rather power not to. It is not a question of supernormal abilities. It's a question of being prepared to die in the next moment to be totally insignificant. The power to be unafraid of looking like an idiot. The power not to care about what people think or say. It is not a question of being physically, intellectually or emotionally strong, but of being open to annihilation.
everything has to matter and not matter at the same time. There have been some hard lessons to learn in this department. I was far from the end of learning, but at least I knew the shape of the lesson. Later that afternoon, I asked, uh, this brigand, he wouldn't happen to be the same brigand who gave Poutrell the silver horse's hoof. It almost seems as if you told me three stories about the same man in reversed order. Rinpoche shrugged. Yeah, you mentioned this before, but there were many brigands. Paltrell wandered a lot in Kham and Golok. There were many brigands there, you know. Maybe this one went on to become a yogi. Maybe not. Some great lamas came from brigand families and some great yogis were formerly brigands. A thin drizzle was blurring the end of the afternoon into night. It became suddenly cold. Food arrived and we ate potatoes, dark green vegetable matter and a few emaciated shreds of goat. Having eaten, Rinpoche fished around in a pile of things in the dim of a corner, made incomprehensible by the light of a guttering candle. Electricity was an intermittent occurrence in Sobhema. His hand finally alighted on the sought-after shape. It was placed on the table. Old Monk, Indian Rim, Indian Rum. Kunchog Rinpoche once quipped that Old Monk should be called Young Monk because what would an old monk want with rum? That was the first night that I arrived in Tsopema. Rinpoche laughed. Alalaho, Kalpazang. Then we wrapped blankets around ourselves against the cold and damp and made emptiness of the old monk Indian rum. What is important, Rinpoche concluded, is that you're able to have the fearlessness of a brigand and the heart of a kind mother. Do you think you can be like this? Yes, Rinpoche. It seems entirely possible, I grinned whilst I have the mind of an old monk. <laughs>